Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Nehemiah chapter 13. This is the final chapter penned of the Old Testament. Uh, They believe this was the last chapter written, you see, but it's not the last in the Old Testament, and it's not laid out that way. But chronologically, chapter 13 was the last chapter that was written of the Old Testament. Anyone have pocket doors in your house? These are wonderful inventions, you know, if if you're short on space and you want to be able to close off a certain area. Then there's a little, you know, hook and you reach in and you pull the pocket door out of the wall and it closes, in our case, the kitchen. You know, you can close people out of the kitchen. I have spent way too much time in my life fixing pocket doors. They're a wonderful invention when they work. Here's the problem. One bump and they fall off their track. And they're not easily fixed. You have to take apart. I've had to cut walls to fix pocket doors. To only have that very same pocket door mysteriously bumped and back off the track after the paint had dried from all of my drywall patching. And here's the problem with pocket doors. You can't just walk by, at least I can't, and say, oh, well, it doesn't work because it doesn't hang in its place properly. You can't take it out and throw it away because then you have a hole in the wall. And you can just see what, what is missing here. So it's, it's not there covering up that space. So you have to deal with it. You have to fix it. And as soon as you fix it, it quite easily might just fall right off that track again. This is much like parenting. How many times have I told you Uh, Men, if we're honest, we could say this is much like the uh, parenting continued that our wives have had to pick up on. How many times have I had to tell you? And we're back off track again. This is very much like it is in church life. And this is absolutely what it is like in the life and history of Israel. Nehemiah has been a wonderful leader. God has used him powerfully. We have been studying through, and now we come to the final chapter here. And now they're about to get a trial run without him. They're about to have a scrimmage. He has to head back to the palace. He has to go back to what he said. He promised. He gave the king his word, I'll come back. How long will you be gone? In other words, you're coming back. So he was making his return visit to report in person and to check in with the king. When he comes back, chapter 13 unfolds, it's a disastrous mess again. They're right back down in the gutter where they have been so many times before. This is the nation that because of their sin, the northern kingdom was sent away to Assyria. The southern kingdom thought, we have the temple. We're God's chosen people. Nothing bad will happen to us. Look at the rabbit foot on my mirror. I'm good, right? That's about how they treated Yahweh. 
Nothing can happen to us. We have the living God's temple here. And prophet after prophet after prophet came warning them, calling them to repentance, and they refused, and they did what is throughout the Old Testament. They stiffened their necks. Don't tell me what to do. And so God carried them away through the hand of Nebuchadnezzar into exile 70 years redeeming all of the Sabbaths that they had not given to the Lord. And then he miraculously, marvelously brings them back. And then they experience a rebuilding of the temple under Ezra, under Zerubbabel, and then Ezra renewal. And then comes uh, Nehemiah, and they're experiencing, and they've gone through all of these commitments and covenants and renewal, and we will do this, and we will not do that. This is amazing. And then Nehemiah steps out for a few years. The parent steps out of the room. The teacher steps out of the classroom. The cat's away, the mice will play. That's what happens. How quickly they forget. How quickly we can forget. There's a greatest danger The greatest danger that anyone can face is not trusting in the living God. To not trust in the Lord for all of life, not just for a moment, not just a moment profession of faith, and now I'm good, right? But a constant moment by moment trusting in the Lord, that's the biggest, most significant threat. Listen listen to what Moses warned Deuteronomy 29 and verse 18. Beware, all right, watch out. You see the the sign on the fence, beware of dog. And then along comes the, you know, like, oh, I'm not scared of that dog. You didn't see the dog behind that dog. Beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is, here it is, going off track, turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Just that little root springing up of bitterness. Beware, watch out. And in the New Testament, the author says, Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, and here he's, he's referencing what Moses said, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. Just one person, just one leader, just one person of influence, and many people are affected. Chapter 13, loved ones, shows us the importance of good leadership. Leadership matters. Now, in between where we were last time, Nehemiah 12, and now coming to Nehemiah 13, the ministry took place of Malachi. In our Bibles, that's the final book in the Old Testament. Malachi's ministry was right into it. So maybe this afternoon, take time. If you have the Bible app, hit play. Listen or read the book of Malachi. And while Nehemiah goes back to 
Persia, listen to the ministry of Malachi. Listen to what he was saying to the people. Listen to the themes of his messages. And it was falling on sleepy or deaf ears. Not hearing, not caring, not responding. Good leaders and bad leaders both leave a lasting legacy. Interestingly, I was looking at when, when did we go through Malachi? Some of you might have it in your, note, in, your, in your Bibles. 12 years ago, we went through the book of Malachi. I'm like, it's been that long ago? Wow. There are two types of leaders that we'll see in chapter 13. We, have, we meet one man, Eliashib, and he's the high priest. He's, he's a wicked individual in a powerful place. And we have Nehemiah, and he's the governor. And there's two leaders and two different impacts of their lives and their legacies. Nehemiah was righteous. What type of person are you? What type of leader are you? So well, I'm not a leader. You're leading. Some, someone's following you. You are influencing someone. What type of leader are you? Let me ask you another question. What type of, what type of people, what type of leaders do you follow? What we're seeing set up here between Eliashib and Nehemiah is actually a prequel. It's a precursor. It's a prelude of a coming showdown between Caiaphas, the high priest, and Jesus of Nazareth. Everything that we are seeing, this was the last chapter. This should have been ringing in Israel's ears, and they would have seen because they knew their history better than we do. They knew what they should have been waiting on, and Jesus was there, and they missed him altogether. Why? Think about it. Have you ever known that something is wrong in your life, and someone says, you know, this is wrong? How do you respond to that? How do you enjoy when someone says, you know, you're wrong? You know, that's not right. Our inner lawyer fires up, doesn't it? How dare you tell me anything? Well, watch out. What type of people do you surround yourself with? Companionship is influence. This is the value of small groups. Last week, Rich mentioned, hey, reach out. Open your home. What he didn't know is we do that already through small groups. It even is easier for you to say, hey, will you join me in a small group near me? Go with me. We're already seeing fruit happen from that type of ministry in this congregation. Go with me. Come eat with us. We'll open the word. Here's the message. Because that might have scared you. Let's like, I don't know. Where do, I, where do I start in the Bible? Just start here. Join us in our small group. We can do that. Godly leadership, it builds others up around us through loving service. But world, worldly leadership Earthly, earth-minded leadership builds a personal platform. Are we aware of this going on right now? What do you do to build your platform? What do you do to build your, what is it called? Brand, branding. How do you brand yourself? Oh, so you're an athlete or you're in business, but what's really important is how many people follow you and your influence, your branding, and so you can hire people that will take you and give a better version of you that more people will follow. 
Don't say these things. Don't look this way. Don't dress that way. Here, we'll rebrand you, and now people will sign on and follow you. Worldly leadership builds a personal platform. What what about me? How will this team advance my brand? How will this company advance my brand? Me. Jesus said to his disciples, no lording over one another among you. That's just the norm in the world. Not so, not so among you. Nehemiah recounts how the people failed. They broke their vows to God and they were blatantly guilty. Here in this chapter, they desecrated the priesthood in the temple. They might have asked the question like this, do we always need to follow God's word? Like all the time? Like everything? They defaulted on giving to God's work. You remember what they said? Oh, we are going to do this. And Nehemiah said, good, right now. Let's give. Let's fill the storehouses right now while your hearts are moved. Not, oh, you know, I, I haven't given in a while. Maybe next week I'll work on giving. Maybe next year. Nehemiah, he was striking while the iron was hot the last time we were here, and they were giving, and the joy abounded in the, the goodness of the Lord and the response of his people. But now they might have said something like, we promised to give what? When Nehemiah came back, commitment to forward, grace forward, what? A card I filled out, what? Where was What? They defiled the Sabbath. They might have responded to Nehemiah like, you know how busy we are? You know how much there is to be done? Do you know how much can be made by all these nations gathering on the Sabbath day in the gate? I just can't pay my bills without having that extra day of work. They disobeyed God's commands. Nehemiah, does it really matter who our children love and date and fall in love and marry? Does it really matter? Pastor, does it really matter that person that I am interested in, where they are in their faith? And their, does it really matter or is that you just saying that and you're going to try to make me feel guilty if I disagree with you? It matters. Leadership matters. So let's think about these things. How is it possible for us to get our priorities so messed up? Am I the only one in this? Is it easy to get our priorities completely upside down? Let me ask another question before we cut into this chapter. What is it that you want to be remembered for? What is it that you want to be remembered for? What, is, what about our legacy will live beyond our lifetimes? You are going to leave a legacy. I will leave a legacy. Loved ones, you will leave a legacy. What will that legacy be? You will only leave the legacy that you live. Not what you wanted to do, not what you and I plan to do, not what we hope to do. We will leave the legacy that we live. And we come under the word again today, and it's another opportunity to do what the people did in this chapter, to hear and to respond humbly. Isn't the Lord good to us? 
to not just leave us in our ways, just going on, carrying on, like, what, I thought it was fine. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, the time before this day, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels and the tithes of grain, wine and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, Here's Nehemiah's personal note. I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I, I like this part, by the way, I threw all of the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. This is the word of the Lord. That's how far we're going to get in this chapter today. Five leadership lessons that we need to embrace from Nehemiah's final reforms. There's five. We're going to just we're gonna take one today. Number one, live in consecration to God. Live in complete consecration to God, total consecration, devotion. Remember, we just had a message a few weeks ago, dedication day. We are setting aside. We are setting forth. We are consecrating this child to the Lord. That means, as parents saying that, that we will order our lives that God will be first. Not sports. Not our careers. Not our brands. God. We're consecrating this one from God, through Christ, for God. Never give to man that which God alone deserves. We could say it positively, seek, never seek from man what only God can deliver. Never give to man that which God alone deserves, and that's what's taking place in this chapter. God's instructions were clear. 
on that day. So perhaps they've gathered for their yearly festival and they're reading through the law of Moses again in the public reading and they come across this section and they realize we're not doing this. We have disobeyed God. This is very clear. He didn't mumble through this. This is precise. They read publicly from the book of Moses, and there's three questions that they were answering, and there's three questions that we need to ask and answer as well, and it is, what has God said? What has God said? There was crystal clear instructions from God through Moses for his people. They were to be separated from idolatrous nations. This is replete throughout the Old Testament. But this account, if you jot it down, Numbers 22 through about 25, is the account of Israel coming near to the people of Ammon, the Ammonites. And the king, Balak, looks out. He sees all of these Israelites, and he begins to panic. And so he hires a prophet, a false prophet named Balaam. And he goes and he sends a delegation and Balaam says, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I'm not coming. Okay, I'll, I'll come and I'll tell only what God gives to me. So he comes. Balak says, look at all these people, curse them. And he, say, he says, I'll say what God says. And he blesses them. Balak is mad. From this location, look at these people, curse them, and he blesses them. He's mad. But then the postscript of that account is Balaam does not pronounce a curse over the people. He simply gives an idea to Balak. You know all you have to do. You don't have to fight these people. Just give them your daughters. Let them marry They'll infiltrate. You'll infiltrate them, and you'll turn their hearts to all idolatry, and you'll have the people. They'll self-destruct. And that's what they did. And so the Lord pronounced judgment on them. Now, these tribes, the Ammonites and the Moabites, Genesis 19 is where we find the inception of these peoples. Abraham, his nephew's name is Lot, Lot went to Sodom and Gomorrah. He moved right on in, became part of the culture. The Bible says that he was a righteous man inflicting his soul every day as he was there in the middle of an environment and a culture, and he's surrounded by immorality. Much like our land, the great U.S. of A. It's just like Sodom and Gomorrah, only more publicized. When Lot was delivered with his wife and two daughters, the command was given and the angels actually grabbed them and brought them out of the city because he wasn't moving fast enough. Some of his family just laughed at him when he said, judgment is coming. Yeah, whatever, old man. Have another one on the house. His wife looks back, is turned to a pillar of salt, he carries on out into the caves, and there's Lot and his two daughters. His two daughters say, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get married? We're not going to have any children. This is going to be the end of us, living in the caves? 
They get their father drunk and they sleep with him. One one night, one the next. And that's where Moab and Ammon are born. That's in Genesis 19. This is a idolatrous nations. They were enemies of Israel. They hated Yahweh. They were barred from the assembly of the Lord forever. They could not come in and bring all of their ways of idolatry. So the Lord is making a barrier between them. It's very clear, and the people are hearing this, but Israel was persistent against God. They were persistent in sinning against him. Deuteronomy 23, this is where they would have heard this. And as you hear it, and I'm going to read it, 23 Verse 3, no Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, what does the Lord mean there? Hmm. Well, in the Hebrew, yeah, it just means they can't come in, right? Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you but the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Why? Because the Lord your God loved you. This is a stark command here. Don't mix with them. You say, but wait a second. I remember a story about grace in the Old Testament. Wasn't there a widow out of Moab that came back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem, and then she fell in love, and Boaz fell in love, and this Moabitess? But what happened to Ruth? Orpah, the other sister-in-law, kissed and let go Naomi, and went back to all of her gods, went back to all of her idolatry. Ruth said, I'm going with you. Where you live, I live. Where you die, I die. Your God, my God. Your people, my people. I leave it all behind. What is this? This is grace. And Ruth is brought out of this tribe with awful beginnings a barrier, there should not be any mixture of that idolatry and true worship. And in grace, she is washed, brought in. But she's not brought in and left out outside on the doorstep. She's brought in and married to Boaz and brought into the line of Messiah. That's what grace does. Forever, forever preaching you're never too far gone. If you are alive and you humble yourself, you will be forgiven, redeemed in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? They hear this and they realize we're in trouble. James Hamilton Jr., he says this. I just want to read this comment he has. He says, are you dealing with persistent sin in your life? Listen, is that you this morning? Are you dealing with persistent sin in your life? Like, man, here I am. I'm, I'm dealing with sin. Listen, your struggle against persistent sin is a cause for encouragement. What? What? Why? 
because the fact that you struggle means that God has not given you over to it. Encourage, be encouraged in the Lord if you are fighting against sin and temptation because the Lord hasn't just let you go headlong into it. God continues to convict you, he says, continues to show you kindness by leading you to repentance just as he did with these Israelites. We can be thankful for this. So we've heard what God said, no association with them. Well, then what did God mean? What did God intend by what he said? The people made a covenant when they returned with Ezra. The people renewed their covenant under Nehemiah and Ezra. And then here we are. They're right back in their old ways once again. The command was clear. What was God saying? Do not marry non-believers. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. New Testament, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Why? In the New Testament, the church is God's temple. The Old Testament, here we are right in the temple, and we have Toby, and he's a problem. And he is right up in the thick of it. So listen, this has been, I have heard this said my entire life, and it's true. Christian, single person. Don't date non-believers. Be friends engage, but you are compromising significantly when you date someone who does not share the same outspoken, clear faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have been bought by the blood of Jesus and he owns you, someone you're interested in is not owned, they have a different master, you have nothing in common that is eternally significant. You say, well, and I've seen this done. She is beautiful. What'd you say? I need to be a Christian? How do I do that? Well, you need to repent. I repent. You need to trust in Christ. I trust in Jesus. Okay, be baptized. All right, dunk me. Hey, where's your husband at? Ah, he doesn't want to come to church. Ah, he never reads the Bible. Ah, no, he never calls the family to prayer. He has no interest in these things. So more so than just they said they're a Christian, check the box, are they an evident, growing, maturing disciple of Jesus Christ? Now that, that is where we want to live. Because are we perfect? No. But am I growing in discipleship and trusting the Lord for the person that he may give or withhold? but I have Christ. And no human being, listen to me, no human being can satisfy. If, if you're trying to get from a human being what only God can give, there's no person that can bear that weight. Second Corinthians, Paul writes 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What's the answer to that question, those two questions? None. Light and darkness, they they don't get along. Righteousness and lawlessness, no. Mixed faith marriages, 
quickly open the door to idolatry. Mixed beliefs. One is believing what is true. One is believing what is false. We're going to come back to the example of Solomon later in chapter 13. True worship and false worship, there's going to be a problem there. So what happens in that home once there's marriage? Then possibly come children. Now you have confusion. You have complacency. And then you have countless professing Christians who walk away. And suddenly... They were struggling. They were attending. And now, well, I haven't really been back to church in years. All could have been avoided. Sometimes they just completely walk away from the faith altogether. So how then should we respond to God's word when we're living in disobedience, really in area, any area of our lives? Well, they heard the word in verse 3. The Israelites immediately repented of their sin and of their disobedience. And then they separated themselves from those who did not know, love, and follow the one true and living God. So if we're here this morning and we know the Scripture is clear, someone might be saying, well, Pastor, I, I disobeyed. What do I do now? I mean, am I, am I stuck? Am, you know, the New Testament deals with this. If somebody is married to a non-believer, like, what are we supposed to do? Well, humbly repent and then live out the gospel in a real way in that home, submit it to the Lord Jesus and love your spouse as unto Christ. But this is where we can't just well, I didn't know it. You probably did. And this is true for any area of our lives. A lot of times it's not sin, but I didn't know that was wrong. We knew it was wrong. So what do we do? Own it. Admit it. Confess it. Forsake it. When we do wrong, just get honest with God and with others and walk in holiness. This is what they did. This is always the pattern. This is Old Testament and New Testament. As believers, we have been saved. We've been separated unto the Lord. So we've been called out to be, to live distinctively different. We've been given a new master. We're no longer under the law, but now we're under the new covenant of grace. So we're not to be, as Paul wrote to the Romans, we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word conformed is to be pressed into the mold but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We've been called by the one who is holy. And this is where a powerful witness that is genuinely loving, God will use. This is the love that Richard was talking about last week. When we love one another and people see that, that means that there has to be a mingling together of your believing family and non-believers. I think, this hinders a lot of our evangelism is over here is my golf league and over there I do the church things. Over here is my, you know, he said, go, go join a, you know, a, a gym or get on a team or whatever. And so there's these worlds and you're by yourself in these environments instead of mixing them together. Leviticus 20 verse 26, 
You, the Lord says, shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And have separated you from the peoples, why? That, read it with me, you should be mine. It's all about who your God is, who is your master. He said, I called you out, not because you were anything special. I called you out. You're my people. So Paul, taking from this in 2 Corinthians 6, he writes and he makes application. We just read this a moment ago, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now he carries on, verse 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What do you have in common? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Eliashib made space for Tobias. For we, Paul says, are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. I wonder, I wonder if you hear that and you think, and, and we're going to come to the next verse in just a second. I wonder if you hear that and say, what right does God have? Is this, is this him keeping people away? Think about a wedding day. And the toddler's out back playing in the, in the dog cage and comes running in, and the bride is almost ready to prepare to walk down the the aisle. And here comes the toddler filled with everything that's in the dog cage. And I wonder if you would look evilly upon a bride or the people around saying, no, 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 you got to stay back. you got to get cleaned up. You can't come near the bride. How dare you say that? All he wanted to do was give her a hug. No, no, you don't understand. This is wedding day, and she is spotless. This dress is immaculate. This is perfect. You can't come in. And the Lord is saying, oh, I want you, but I'm holy, and you're not. These nations have no fear of me, so there can't be any going and playing in their pig pens and then coming near as if what? We're okay. No, we're not. So then Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 makes application and he says, since we have these promises. Did you catch that? These commands are not burdensome to us, not grievous to us. We have these promises, Paul writes. Beloved, what does that mean? You are Loved. We've been loved by this God. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the therefore. This is the so what. Because we've been called, he is holy. He has called us to himself and made a way. So let's clean up our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. And Peter, the apostle, he carries on this 
this same reality, writing to Gentiles, 1 Peter 1, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. All your conduct. Verse 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Do you know who he's writing to? The separated peoples, Gentiles. You from your forefathers, got all kinds of pagan, pagan rituals and not one of them took care of one sin. But you, through the blood of Christ, have been redeemed, washed, and made new. Amen. And now you're a people. And you're a holy people. And you're a chosen people. God is so good. God's instruction is clear. Satan's temptation, what does he always want us to do? Just compromise. Just compromise. In verses 4 to 7 there in Nehemiah 13, Eliashib desecrated the temple. He allowed Tobiah the Ammonite to move in and take up residence in Israel's headquarters for worship. Just imagine just use, use your imagination. What if the U.S. government had people from other nations like China or Russia become part of, like, in the government? All your information is where? Right to the hands of the enemy. The people speaking in high places are giving information tainted. Why? By their loyalty. That's what's happening right here in Jerusalem. And Eliashib, who had the keys, threw wide open the doors. Come on in. Make yourself to home. Now, Eliashib, we've heard about this guy. Flip your Bible back to the left just to chapter 3. We met this guy earlier in our study. Nehemiah 3, verse 1, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated, set its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Hananel. He's down there. He's got a house along the wall. This is, this is Eliashib. I mean, he was there. He was part of the building project. He put his shoulder to it. Other leaders are like, no, I'm not helping. Not stupid to do that. Eliashib, he was there. He was on board. Eliashib was there, and he was listening to all the taunts and the threats of the enemies. He was there. He heard it all. He was aware of their plans. He knew what they wanted to do with Nehemiah. They wanted to kill him, and he knew it. 
Eliashib was there. He was listening to the prayers and the plans of Nehemiah. He was there showing an appearance of support for the work of God and the man of God, God's ordained leadership. But on the inside, this guy is a traitor like Judas Iscariot. He was in love with this present world like Demas. He loved to have the preeminence like the Apostle John wrote about Diotrephes. He was an internal threat in a high place of ministry in God's kingdom, and Nehemiah didn't know it when he left town to go back to Persia. Nehemiah trusted that this guy was loyal, that this guy was faithful, and that Eliashib was righteous, that he was a man of integrity, but you know what? Nehemiah was wrong. He didn't see this coming. Eliashib, the high priest, ended up committing treason against God. Easily, Nehemiah might have said, what hindered you, Eliashib? You were running well. Who threw the stick in your spokes? You remember that night of the Lord's betrayal and they were all around the table, the Last Supper? One of you will betray me. The disciples didn't, oh, oh it's Judas. They didn't know that. Is it me? Is it me? Who, who's going to betray? They didn't know it was Judas. But Jesus did, and he washed his feet. Eliashib, the high priest, ended up committing treason against God. He desecrated his temple. He betrayed God's people. He moved the sacred things out of the temple to make room for Tobiah's stuff, his junk. He should have been keeping the house for the worship of Yahweh, but instead Eliashib was preparing a large chamber in God's courts for Tobiah the Ammonite. He was serving the wrong God. His fear of man and love for man's praise led him down the wrong road. This is an enemy. He said, come on in. We can see Eliashib's compromise, but can we see our own? Isn't it easy for us to say, oh, Eliashib, uh-uh-uh, what's the matter with you? But can we see our own compromise? Can we see how we have opened the door for other areas in our life that steal hours away of our time and we have no time for the Lord? How are we tempted to exchange the glory of God for passing praise for momentary pursuits or temporary pleasures of sin. Eliashib was unrestrained. There was nobody there to tell him, you can't do that. What you've done is wrong. He wasn't listening. Nehemiah went back to Persia. He says he was there. In Artaxerxes' 32nd year, it's about 433 B.C. He may have been there. We don't know exactly. Five, ten years. Made the journey back. When he left, there were plenty of qualified people in charge to carry on the work of the Lord. But Eliashib was a turncoat. He was a Judas priest. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. This, I will be honest with you, is perhaps, perhaps one of the most difficult aspects of Christianity. It's the people that say, amen, pastor. Yes, pastor. Oh, yeah, right there with you. 
And then you find out in years or decades to come, their heart wasn't there. They were saying it. You take people at face value. You take loved ones at face value. At times, people even marry, and they take that person at face value, and they can't see the heart. And in time, truth and time go hand in hand, and their real character, their real person comes out, and they're hurt. God is never fooled. God is never surprised by this. The scripture that has carried and will carry me, God willing, till the day I die, 1 Timothy 5, when, when Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, listen, Timothy, you do your ministry. You fulfill your ministry. There are those who are, 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 are sometimes you know, caught in sin in this lifetime, and, and their deeds are known. God, God will deal with them. There are others who they serve faithfully, Timothy, and no one knows. God will reward them. You do your ministry. Stick to, the, stick to the course. Stay the course. God's never fooled. He's never surprised. So then what is Nehemiah going to do? And that brings us what's already on the screen. God's people must lead with courage. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. Well, Nehemiah is back now. And he discerned quickly the problem. And he sprung quickly and decisively into, act, into action. He goes into a church discipline mode here that is unlike anything I've ever seen. Can I ask you the question? When was the last time that you had to confront someone that was in obvious rebellion, living in sin? How did that go? How did you deal with that? Were you loving? Were you truthful? Were you gracious? Or, or did, were, you, were you overbearing? Or were you kind? I wish I could tell you that everyone I've ever talked to, I was right on like Jesus. No, I have not been. But then I see Nehemiah here, and I think, you know what? He, he dealt with this issue. He didn't just have all of these excuses of, well, I was going to, but I never quite got to deal with it. They didn't listen very well. Now Nehemiah deals with it. When was the last time someone challenged you about an area of your life of unfaithfulness, an attitude or an action? How did that go? Were you re receptive of that? Did you listen? Did you receive it? Or did that inner lawyer fire up? Oh, well, you. Do we listen? Are we striving for what is true and what is right? How might the Holy Spirit be convicting each of us of unrighteous behavior, how do we respond? Can we just think on that right now? Each of us have areas in our lives that are not pleasing to the Lord. How are we dealing with them? Nehemiah was angry. This is a righteous indignation. This is a pre, 450 years later, Jesus is gonna come into his father's house and make a whip and do the exact same thing. Nehemiah is angry. Listen to Mark eleven seventeen. 17. Jesus was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he booted them out. Nehemiah evicted Tobiah. He tossed all of his junk out of the chambers. I want to see that one when I get to heaven. I'm going to show me that episode. Did he have help or was he just so incensed that he just grabbed his stuff by himself, the governor, 
and just started like, ah, you know, big screen TV, you know, flying, whatever. He's just throwing this stuff out of here. Get it out of here. And he goes and he does the work. Imagine all of the other priests that are standing around. Eliashib is there, you know, feeling the pressure. And then Nehemiah doesn't step over his bounds and go into cleansing the chambers himself. He gives orders. He steps back. I got all of his junk out that you let in, Eliashib, and everybody else. I got it all out of there. Now, Levites, you go in and purify it. I'm a governor, not a priest. I'm not a Levite. Not going to be like Saul, impatient for Samuel. You go cleanse this chamber. And they did. Bring all the stuff back in that belongs to the Lord. All of the sanctified, the set-apart vessels, all of the grain offerings, the frankincense, bring it back. This is the Lord's house. This is the Lord's place. If you belong to Christ, this is his temple. What have you what have I allowed in? And trust me, sin is always crouching at the door. Satan is always wanting to re, resurface as leader again in your life. But if you belong to Christ, he has, he's lost all rights. And he will be crushed under the feet of the children of God one day soon. So, what are you holding back from the Lord today? What needs to be tossed out of our lives? What needs to be evicted out of our schedules? If we learn anything from Nehemiah, we must learn that it all begins with my commitment to live in consecration to God. Have you started there? Have you consecrated? Have you said, here I am, God, I surrender to you. May we remember, repent, and return. Let's stand together. As the worship team comes, we want to think about this. Lord, help me. Help us to never give, and then that blank is different for each of us. Never give to maybe relationships what rightfully belongs to you. Never give to my career what rightfully belongs to you. To never give to my, you know, desire for entertainment, reputation, sports, lust, acceptance, whatever it may be. Help me to not give that place away what belongs only to you. God's instruction is clear. And we are often tempted to compromise but with the help of the Lord, loved ones, we'll be part of his plan and lead our lives with others empowered by the Holy Spirit and have courage to do what is right and live in radical selflessness like Jesus did because he is alive in those who belong to him. Father, thank you for the, your word and your truth and your gospel. Thank you that you save to the uttermost. You have called us not because we are worthy, but because you are good and you love, you delight in saving sinners. So I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit today, you will change hearts and lives. 
and that we will live devoted to your goodness, that we will live for the good of others and the glory of God always consecrated to you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.